get started recognizing that, okay, what's next doesn't have to mean what's forever. And I see a lot of people, like, like we talked about, waiting for that perfect business idea to, to hit them on the head. It's like, no, maybe I just need to start the thing. And then that leads to the next thing. And that leads to this conversation, which sparks this idea. So that happens a lot. And then the other thing is just this willingness to put yourself out there and not have it be perfect, right? Like recognizing that every all-star was once a rookie and every expert was once a beginner and just being okay with that, this willingness to take action is really, or a bias toward action is something that definitely sets apart people who kind of like perpetually stuck on the sidelines versus people who start something recognizing truthfully, it doesn't matter. And it leads to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing down the road. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Free Retiree Show podcast, the podcast where we help you excel in your career and your finances so you can live the life you were always meant to live. For today's episode, we're going to be discussing side hustles. So if you've listened to our episodes before, you've probably heard us stress the importance of having a side gig if you're trying to get ahead financially. And you've also heard me talk about the 50-30-20 principle, trying to get 20% of the income that you bring into the household and save it and invest it. Serge, you on board with that? Are you still fighting me on it? I'm on board with a general principle. I just, the feasibility of it. So here we go. It's not realistic in the Bay Area. The resistance that I have to deal with on a regular But I I agree in principle with the thought. It's just not (laughs) realistic in practice. Okay. Well, maybe it is if you got a side hustle. Maybe. Maybe (laughs) your cash flow is tight, but you know, Picking up a side hustle is a great way to make the numbers work in terms of saving and investing goals. So let's just take the example. If you were able to save $300 per month, doesn't seem like a massive amount of money. Maybe it's a few less times eating out. But if we go 20 years and say we get an 8% rate of return, that's around $178,000. Take it out 25 years. You're looking at $287, 30 years, $450,000. Those little consistent changes, as we've said before, can make a massive difference for your financial picture. Small, consistent habits. So for today, we have the founder of Side Hustle Nation, Nick Lopper. He is a wonderful podcast host. He has been very popular. And all he talks about is people that do side hustles. And he gives people great ideas on things that have worked for others and how to start your side hustle business. And uh, Serge... This one, you excited for it? Yeah, I can't wait to learn here. I think it's going to be awesome. I think a lot of us are, over the last couple of years with the the pandemic, right? we're all kind of thinking, is this full-time job what I want to do all day? Can I get into something else? So I'm excited to learn from him. Yeah. And Nick's side hustle was podcasting. And now he's become wildly popular. He's been on New York Times, Fortune, TEDx, entrepreneur. So he's blowing up. And it all started from a side hustle. So without further ado, Nick, how are you doing this morning? Good, good, good morning. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, man. Thank you for showing up. I mean, we have you're you're one of our, our high profile guests, I would say. I mean, just what you've done with your podcast and the traction you've gotten online. Tell us side hustles. Out of all the things you decided to do with the podcast, why did you want to go down the side hustle route? Yeah, I'm I'm flattered by that. So thanks thanks for puffing me up in the uh, in the intro there. So my original side hustle was this like footwear comparison shopping site, like back in, you know, looking back, of course, like this is like early days of the internet, but you pull in the catalogs from 
Zappos, Amazon, like all these other stores mm-hmm. and tell you where you can find the best price on your next pair of shoes. And that yeah. was the vehicle that let me quit my corporate job. That was the thing that I kind of naively thought, like I could just be the dude who sells shoes on the internet. But like a lot of businesses had ups and downs, kind of had a finite lifespan playing in the margin between the cost of traffic and what that traffic was worth in terms of affiliate commissions. So on the side from the shoe business, I'm already very grateful to have be self-employed at this point. I started a bunch of different projects, which for full disclosure, most of them kind of died a quiet death in some <laughs> lonely corner of the internet. They didn't, it just didn't work out. Um, can we, can we get some of those ones that died, the, the, the slow, painful death? Slow death. <laughs> oh my gosh. So one was a like handbag and luggage site. So a lot of the advertisers that I worked with like also sold these like handbags and accessories as part of their catalog. So I was like, well, that's like a natural extension. We could already use some of the existing site architecture and database structure that we already have. And we can pivot over here. And it's just like lower commission rates across the board, a much broader length. There was a lot more competition out there in terms of the number of stores. And so we were churning through all this data to like pick out just a tiny little fragment of their catalog. And it was a mess. I tried to do a similarly tried to do like a sandal spinoff. I was like, well, if shoes worked, like maybe I can get even nichier and like try sandals. But I was like, super seasonal, lower <laughs> price points, yeah. which meant yeah. lower commissions. And now I can like duplicated content, duplicated effort between the two sites. So that was a mess. I tried to do a wine related site and just, you know, because I was out in Livermore, I was like, hey, this is kind of like yeah. the poor man's Napa. This is like kind of wine country. <laughs> Never mind the fact that I know nothing about wine. I don't care about wine. <laughs> it was just like this. I had no reason to exist. But that was another example of a flop thing that came out of all of these projects. And I was like blogging on like a personal domain all, all throughout this whole time, too. But one thing that came out of these failures was this prospect of learning how to use WordPress from my personal blog. And it was in the research forum the wine site that I found, I came across this site that was like reviewing wine clubs. And I thought, oh, that's like a pretty interesting model because they had like the little star ratings. And then they had the user generated content down at the bottom where people could leave their own feedback and opinion on this stuff. And then they'd collect affiliate commissions if anybody signed up through the site. So I was like, well, what other industry or what other niche could I like pivot this to? And ended up coming up with virtualassistantassistant.com, which was like a review platform and directory for outsourcing companies and actually ended up running that for nine years before selling it late 2020. That was one of the successful side hustles to come out of that era. And then the other, to get back to your original question with Side Hustle Nation a couple of years after that, so now we're in like 2013 timeframe. Mm-hmm. And this was the result of a lot of some of the same questions I just turned around and asked the Side Hustle Show audience today. It's like, well, what are people already coming to you for advice about what do you never get tired about talking about? What really lights you up? And for me, this idea of just like this natural curiosity of like, where did the money come from? Like, how did this business work? How did they get their initial traction? All of that stuff was really interesting and exciting to me. and still is today. And combining that with the, you've already done this side hustle thing. You've already built something to the point where you're able to quit your job. And so maybe the combination of those two things could be compelling for other people to tune in. So I was like transitioning my personal blog at the time to, okay, let's focus on the side hustle stuff and the marketing surrounding it. And then the podcast was almost out of peer pressure. Like the people that I was paying attention to at the time were like, hey, you got to, if you want to have a personal brand online, you got to have the blog, of course, but then you got to have the podcast or YouTube. Like those were the two choices, like for the secondary platforms. 
It's like, I don't know about YouTube so much, especially at that time. So podcasting was the lesser of two evils. <laughs> it was off to the races. <laughs> this awesome. is interesting. I'm wondering like the shoe sniper. I don't want to go too deep on that, but that company seems like it might do really well right now. I feel like the, the sneaker heads are going crazy with all these sneaker apps. Uh, yeah, maybe so. It had it been in a different era. And yeah, you're, you're totally right. You got software to help you, you know, get these limited edition drops and, and everything. Yeah, that's super interesting. Good stuff. Yeah, the side hustle, like, have you seen an uptick over the, because of the pandemic in terms of like the people that are reaching out, the content, all the things? Like, I, I think for me and Lee, like, we've talked about it. Like, I'm very interested in side hustles. I think a lot of us have the time now that we're working from home for the people in like big tech. So I'm just curious, like, have you blown up a little bit due to the pandemic? I wish I could say yes. <laughs> like early on, I saw a pretty healthy drop in podcast listenership as the world stopped commuting for one and, and just yeah. had other just had other things on their mind. And then it's rebounded a little bit since then. And it's been an ebb and flow. Like early on, my content surrounding delivery apps and Instacart specifically like did really well because it was, I think Instacart onboarded like a quarter million new drivers, like spring of 2020 mm -hmm. or something. They're like, we, we can't deliver these grocery orders fast enough. We, you know, we need more help. And over that time, yeah, I wish, I wish I could say it's like been a hockey stick growth situation, yeah. but it's been more just kind of slow and steady, doing the work, putting the content out there. And part of it's a combination of well, we had our two kids at home for a good chunk of that time. And so the work hours were kind of limited. And so maybe I would have been better able to capitalize on it with more time to dedicate to it. But now looking back, it was like, it was pretty precious to have that time that we otherwise never would have considered with them at those ages. They were two and four when this whole thing started. And it was like, there was the annoyance of like, well, there's all this cool stuff I, I should be working on for the business. Yeah. But at the same time, like, okay, let's try and appreciate what's right in front of you. So Nick, I got a question for you. We talked about in the beginning, some of the flops, right? The things, the side hustles that didn't work. Are you a believer that the side hustles that don't work have more to do with being bad ideas or bad execution? And since you've had so much experience in this space, what's your take on that? And usually it comes down to the, the execution side of things. Like, because and we see this a lot with aspiring side hustlers kind of stuck on the entrepreneurial sidelines. They're waiting for this light bulb of inspiration to strike. And oftentimes it's an idea that's already been done, but just you know, shifting it to a slightly different market, coming at it with a different different positioning, a different angle. And so like somebody gave me the example of well, how many dry cleaners are in your town? And it's like, okay, well, there's several. They they all are doing basically the same thing, but they're serving a slightly different audience. Don't need to reinvent the wheel necessarily. We've seen people come out of the woodwork starting home like cleaning services, window washing services, and they're doing really well in this space because they're just saying they're writing a couple trends. The first is like more and more homeowners are outsourcing this stuff. Like, look, I got a limited time. I don't want to be bothered with it. And the second trend is that just the existing competition in a lot of these spaces, especially if you're in a smaller town, like not some major metro, they're just not that savvy when it comes to digital marketing. So if you can be a better marketer, a better administrator, and go you can go find professionals to do the work, like that's not necessarily a problem. Although now, you know, unemployment is super low. So there's some pressure on the labor side, but we've seen some people doing really well kind of playing matchmaker in the home services space as one interesting side hustle for sure. Yeah, it's a good call out. I live in a small town in Gilroy, California, and uh, I would love if someone could come and do all of our laundry, clean our house, but it's not as easy as 
if I were to live in San Francisco, I think there's lots of apps and things that, that can do that. Right. Here, it's, it's not really available unless you're somebody. It's interesting. There so, you go. You can build it out. I think we should do it, Lee. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, uh, sure. Why not? Give me like, one of his flop stories. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the economics of it, like, I don't know how deep you want to go down this. So I talked to a couple in Dallas and their service was called Maids to Match. And when we spoke, they were doing like 25 grand a month. Since then, they've done now closer to like 80, 100 grand a month in, wow. in bookings. But they're turning around and uh, paying 60% to their contract cleaners to go do the work. And they said, we're going to take 40% as the administrators for overhead and marketing. And we're helping you fill your schedule. It's kind of like buying wholesale and then reselling a product at, at retail, but just doing it on the service side. And so I think that was an interesting way to go. So these people that are starting these side hustles, like, is there a path that you recommend for the ones that have been successful that haven't been the flops? Like, is there a way that they're going about it differently than others? So one of the most common paths that we see is, we call it the, the side hustle stepladder or the, the side hustle path. And it's most commonly starting out freelancing on the side from your day job, graduating to freelancing full-time. Like, oh, I got enough clients. I'm feeling comfortable. I don't need this paycheck anymore. And that's like a big leap to make. We see people often graduate to building an agency from there where it's like, okay, I don't necessarily have to be selling my own skills or clients have been asking for help in these other areas. So I'm going to bring on some other experts to help in that zone and maybe free up a little bit more of my time. And then we see people often graduating from there into you know, products or you know, software from that. Like, okay, maybe I can go down market and create a done with you type of service or a, a DIY version. Like here, here's our playbook. You, know, you can take it and run with it and we'll sell you that for a one-time fee. Or we've seen people build recurring software based on common, common client issues that come up. Or yeah, if we just add this, it would make it a little bit easier to manage. That's one of the common paths that we see on, especially on the service-based route, just kind of this little stair-step graduating to more and more leverage as you climb. Nick, I was curious. I, something I think about with side hustles is there's always that initial part where you're doing a lot of free things, right? People are reaching out for you or something you're good at, right? And you do that for a while. Can you talk to us a little bit about like that jump from doing things for free and the, the conversations where you actually have to start charging for your services. like I think that's kind of an obstacle that I've thought about and other people have as well. Like Any thoughts there on like what's the best practice in that space to really get clear on that? Yeah, I see the benefit of doing free work in a couple of different ways. Maybe the first is to build your own confidence and say like, oh, I, I can deliver value here. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to get in the reps. And maybe the second thing is to build up a portfolio or a critical mass of client testimonials. This is what my wife and her partner did in their photography business. I mean, they started out shooting weddings like crazy cheap. I think they've like they probably 10x their prices or more, you know, since these initial uh, weddings that they did. But it was like they didn't have a portfolio. So these brides early on were taking a big risk on these people. Like, do they even know what they're doing? <laughs> right. So they they yeah. kind of had to do it to get in the reps. And similarly, so just recently had a, a woman on the podcast who was doing sleep training or sleep consulting for parents helping their babies and toddlers sleep better or sleep through the night. And so she started, she'd had success with her own kids. So other parents in her you know, social circle were asking for her advice. So she was you know, dishing that stuff out for free. And then kind of when it started to expand outside of her circle, like in different parenting Facebook groups and stuff, that's when she started putting a price tag on it and saying, okay, now this is something that has value in the market and I'm going to start uh, charting for it. 
I saw, I think I saw her online. She did a pretty good job with the business. It wasn't just a couple extra hundred bucks a month. She was making some good money, right? Yeah. As you said, at one point she's serving 20 or 30 clients a month at five to 600 bucks a pop. So it's like, yeah, it it definitely adds up. And one thing that was cool about that business was like, it becomes more and more systemized as you go, right? You've kind of seen this particular scenario. You add that into your your little archives or your Google Doc SOPs. And you're like, okay, I can lather, rinse, repeat this, and maybe change a few little things as part of this sleep plan. And all of a sudden, my effective hourly rate just went way up. How did she market it? She was primarily doing a lot of guerrilla marketing tactics, like boots on the ground, establishing credibility in these different Facebook communities, starting locally. And she, she had this whole spiel, like if somebody had a sleep-related question or were complaining about that, she'd come in, she'd introduce herself like, hey, I'm Jane, I'm a certified sleep consultant. It sounds like the issue is this and this. If you want to learn more about what I do, let's set up a free 15-minute consultation. And from then, she'd hear more about the issue that was going on and then book people into being a paid customer. And we've seen people do in a lot of communities that I'm a part of, like the FinCon community is like the financial media conference. And there was Steve Stewart is one example that comes up, you know, became, kind of became known as the go-to guy for like podcast related tech questions. How do I do this? How do I get this set up? How do I edit my show? And over time, anytime there was a podcast question, you'd be pretty confident Steve would you know, be chiming in, but other people knew that he was the guy. So they'd like, they couldn't rush to tag him fast enough in that thread. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really cool. And we've seen people do similarly for like IT tech support stuff for Facebook ads. You start to build a little reputation in these niche communities. And then the word of mouth kind of starts spinning in your favor. Yeah. That's amazing. Cause it's like, you think about what that, what she was doing, it's just sleep consulting. I mean, I, I mean, I can't imagine like there's a ton there. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a lot more than I'm thinking. I'm sure there is. It's a big but, deal, dude. I have two kids. It's I huge. mean, this is like you give your kids two Ambien and call it enough. Is, is that is that acceptable? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm starting. I'm starting a baby. <laughs> I, I'm starting babysitting business. Give me a call. A side hustle. Right Remind now. me that Lila, you ever watch my kids? <laughs> but yeah, that's a really inspiring story. Just kidding. Just kidding. I don't. I don't condone giving your children <laughs> Ambien. But that's a really interesting story. That that someone that had some a job that doesn't seem that complex. Obviously, me. There's more to it, but to make a very successful business off that is, I mean, I think that speaks to a lot of people out there that have skills that are thinking like, well, is my skill really that valuable? Like, is can I really turn this into a business? And I think it just kind of goes to like how hard you want to market it and how you present your offering. Yeah. I think actually that's a really important point. And a lot of people are kind of inward looking when they're looking for side hustle ideas. And I've been guilty of this in the past. Well, what can I do? What are my skills? Like, What experience do I have? What's on my resume? I want to flip that around and say, well, go out and look for pains and problems. Because really that's what people are paying money to make go away in their lives. And like Sergio, like you said, having a couple kids, like kids not sleeping, that is a major problem. And especially if it happens night after night, like you'll pay money to make that pain go away. And we think of people solving it in usually one of three different ways. And if we use like the house cleaning example, usually it's, it falls into the bucket of selling a service, selling a product, or selling the content, like trying to, trying to give information about this and then monetizing with ads or affiliate stuff. In the house cleaning example, it's like, well, yeah, you could hire a house cleaning service to make this problem go away. You could go buy a, a Roomba you know, a robot vacuum or something, like a product to make this problem go away or make this problem easier. Or you can go you know, watch the 
decluttering shows on Netflix or YouTube or something like this. There's content around that too, people building business in a content manner around that same pain. So looking for pains first and then thinking, okay, well, how can I use what I already have to go out and, and solve that? Are you seeing any like side hustle trends that are becoming increasingly more popular and yielding great results? So the like the home services stuff is exciting. I've seen people do some really interesting stuff in the newsletter space, I think is kind of compelling right now because it's one of these business models that scales really nicely. Like it takes the same amount of effort to put out an email newsletter that 10 people read or 10,000 people read or 100,000 people read, right? And so one model that I like here as a consumer is like the, I call it like the curated newsletter model, where if you're already... A, a hobbyist in an industry or you just, you pay attention, you follow stuff in personal finance or gardening or parenting or sports, whatever it is, like, could you become the curated source for that stuff? And as a consumer of these, like, oh, this is great. You cut through the clutter of the hundred different articles that were out there today or this week on this topic. And you said, hey, these are the three best, or these are the threes, these are the three that you really ought to go read. And so like, I think that's a really cool place to be. You start to develop this habit of somebody looking forward to your stuff in their inbox. In the uh, online business space, eBiz Facts is one of my favorites because every week, you come, I don't know where he sources the stuff, just like really interesting stories of people making money online in kind of creative ways. So I always like, that's one that I always look forward to, make sure to read. But as the thing grows, you can monetize with affiliate offers. And he also he sometimes has this like little app sumo, like, hey, product of the week, I'll go over here. He can, you can monetize with advertising or if depending on the niche, like your own products and services. So I've seen people do that. And we've seen some of these newsletters as they've grown bigger, like get acquired for multi-million dollar deals. So it's one that has a lot of scale to it and a model that I'm kind of excited about. Nick, what do you think about, or can you help me understand when a side hustle becomes more than a side hustle, right? And it's going to be different for everybody, but is it like a dollar amount? Is it like, when have you seen people pivot from it being a side hustle to them quitting their day job? Yeah, you can look at it objectively or subjectively. Like on the dollars and cents side, what I wanted to see was this track record of revenue from the shoe business in my case, that was at least covering my monthly expenses and I maybe a track record of profit is would be a better way to say it. It's like revenue doesn't matter. Oh, I ran a seven figure business, but I spent eight figures on ads. Like, okay, so you, <laughs> that doesn't really matter, but a track record of profit that at least covers your expenses. And a lot of people are out to kind of replace their day job salary. Great target. It's pretty hard to do on the side. And you sometimes you talk to people on the side hustle show and it's like, well, when did you feel comfortable quitting the old day job? And they're like, well, yeah. when I started making more from what it was costing me money <laughs> to go to work. Like, okay, cool. That's a good problem to have. But a lot of people, it's like, okay, I'm covering my expenses. I'm not going to have to dip into savings. I'm like, yeah, and I've been doing this for several months. So I have this confidence that's going to continue. And I can see with an extra you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week to dedicate to it, that it can get to that day job level of income and beyond, which is what happened in my case. The other, the opposite side of that is like the Reed Hoffman quote, you know, an, an entrepreneur is somebody who jumps off the cliff and figures out how to build the parachute on the way down or something like, sounds terrifying to me, but some people kind of need that, like almost the burn the ships mentality of like, okay, I got to make this work because it's all I got now. Yeah, that's scary. We don't condone, we don't recommend that on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's like you said, it's not for everybody, but there it is for some people. Well, so Nick, let's look at your path, right? Because I think you're a fantastic example 
of someone that had a side hustle that has made it lucrative, has been successful at it, had the job that they felt like, ah, I can't leave this because I got all the security here, but you were able to make that leap. What did your journey look like? And what things did you do that you think really helped propel you into making this massive change? I mean, one of the biggest things is trying to keep your overhead low. And so thankfully, I didn't have a huge hurdle. And thankfully, my day job wasn't paying all that much, especially in the Bay Area. <laughs> um, so what, like, because you see people were like, I'm making a couple hundred grand from the day job. It's like, yeah, it's the golden handcuffs. It's tough to give up. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, I might play a different rat race escape game with you. Maybe I play the... Um, you know, the financial independence retire early. I might play the fire game with you. Could you save 25 times your annual expenses and, and then you're free, right? Like maybe that's a faster, more realistic path than, well, I got to start this thing on the side. It's going to be super slow going early years. But that's what it was for me. Keeping the overhead low, really dedicating, like you talked about at the very top of the show, this compound effect of stacking up marginal gains and letting compounding kind of work. So it was making the dedicated effort day in, day out in a lot of cases to do something to move the business forward. And not it didn't always work, but it was something that I think has continued to add up today. And people will look at the show today now at almost nine years. It's like, man, you've been amazingly consistent. And it was just kind of this commitment early on. And I was honestly afraid of, well, what, what am I committing myself to? <laughs> it was like, cost 15 bucks a month to host a podcast. Had it been had no idea this was going to be a thing. Like I thought iTunes might host it. I had, you know, didn't know, didn't have any idea like on the technical side how podcasting worked. Had it been 25, 30 bucks, like I don't know if the show would exist. Like I was like, what am I committing myself to? And I just have to keep paying this like forever, like as long as I want the thing to be on there. It was that was just to give you a, a little bit of, of lens into the frugality that was set in at, at the beginning. Like, ah, oh, I don't know. Am I gonna run out of people to talk to? I don't know. So lots of fear went into play as well. But you know, just the focus on being helpful first in a lot of cases, uh, especially with the show, like entrusting the business model will follow, but then just keeping at it a long enough time. Even if you zoom out now, nine years on the Google Analytics chart or the podcast chart, it's like so imperceptibly above zero that it's like, what were you doing, dude? Like, why did you keep doing this? But it was like, well, I found it was something I genuinely enjoyed doing. I thought it was fun. And I was seeing just enough traction that it it seemed like it was worthwhile. That's good to hear. I think, Lee, we have our moments as we've been on our podcast journey, the traction, and it takes time. It, it's good to hear your journey. And it wasn't like all smiles and rainbows the whole time. I mean, it was probably three years before I had an official like sponsor and that felt super cool. And then there was a point where the sponsorships eclipsed my old day job salary, which is a cool milestone. And it just, it was a labor of love in a lot of ways, which I think people paid attention to, but I mean, one thing I mean, we can geek out on, you know, podcast growth and marketing, and I'll take any advice <laughs> that you guys have about growing your show too. <laughs> but one thing I think helped early on was recognizing that there's this hurdle to getting people even to listen. Like it's hard to give away a free podcast, but like, I got to find, first I got to find my app and then I got to find your show and I got to find the episode that I want. Like there's a lot of things that go into it. So it's got to be, if people do come across it, coming up with some compelling click-worthy, curiosity-inducing headline that says, yes, I want to learn that's going to be worth my 45 minutes. And then you got to deliver on that. So I think that's kind of the, at least the top of the funnel to get somebody into giving you a chance. Let's talk about like that fear of failure and the doubt that goes into 
pretty much every business when they start off. I know I had that with the financial company that I have. Like, Definitely, there was a point where I'm like, is this going to work? I think every company, every business probably has that at some point. What did yours look like? And how did you get past it? Yeah, mine was, I don't know if I ever gave it much thought because it was positioned in my mind as just a little experiment. I, I was still running the shoe business full-time. Like I thought, especially in the very early days, like this is just a little side project. We'll see what happens with it. It gives that lessens the, the sting of the inevitable failures. You know, a year and a half later, the shoe business kind of sailed off in its sunset. And so I was really glad that I had started this thing and it was starting to see some traction. But I, I get that fear of failure is, is very real for people, but I think there's some exercises you can do to go through and say, well, okay, realistically, what is the worst case scenario here? As long as I keep my downsides low and my upsides high, like I could take 10, 15 swings and just takes one hit. And this is like the venture capital model, right? And they're investing like big money, but they still are kept banking on that one hit to make up for all the losses. I think you can do that on a small scale with side hustle projects. I mean, most everything I've started was like sub $500 to get off the ground, like very rarely more than that, at least in its initial testing phases. So any, anything that hits would erase all of those. And then some, the question that I think a lot of people don't ask is the opposite question is the, well, what if it works? <laughs> what if it works question? Like looking out three to five years and, and maybe you find a, somebody who's gone before you as a virtual mentor or an example, say, well, what does their life look like? They seem to have had some success doing the thing that I am considering doing. Would that be a win? So like sometimes we'll think of side hustles as picking up shifts on Instacart or doing DoorDash delivery and stuff. It's totally fine. Like it's a great stopgap. It's like a plug and play side hustle. It's you know low, almost no barrier to entry. You can start making money almost immediately. It doesn't have any scale. It doesn't have any upside aside from the more hours you put in, the more you can earn. And so you have to ask yourself like, if it works, is that a win? And for some people, yes. If they're looking for that extra three hundred bucks a month, sure. If they're looking for a way out of corporate America, then maybe not. I was thinking that when you say the, the way out of, of corporate America, I think that's where a lot of it starts for many people. I think that's where, because the side hustle, there's, a re- there's something behind that. Like Whether we want to admit it or not, I think we're trying to get somewhere to not escape, but try to make a better life for ourselves. So I was thinking like, yeah. when I think about a side hustle, my, where it's coming from is maybe I want to get out of the Silicon Valley grind. I love what I'm. I love what the side hustle was doing, but I think that what's really behind it is I want to be in a better spot and do something I love every day. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm with you. There's this connotation of some entrepreneurial upside that a second job doesn't carry. Nick, yeah, I was curious. Like, you've interviewed a ton of people. In terms of like qualities that you've seen, is there like a trend of what success or the qualities that you've seen that have drive driven some of these people that have been successful? With side hustles? Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. The first is this just willingness to get started, recognizing that, okay, what's next doesn't have to mean what's forever. And I see a lot of people, like, like we talked about, waiting for that perfect business idea to, to hit them on the head. It's like, no, maybe I just need to start the thing. And then that leads to the next thing. And that leads to this conversation, which sparks this idea. So that happens a lot. And then the other thing is just this willingness to put yourself out there and not have it be perfect, right? Like recognizing that every all-star was once a rookie and every expert was once a beginner and just being okay with that. Like I, 
my friend of ours, you know, we, she has like this expertise in this like very niche software. And so I happened to interview a guy who had an expertise in a very other niche software. And he laid out the whole playbook. I created these videos, like here's how to do X, Y, Z in blah, blah, blah software. He introduced himself like, Hey, I'm Paul. I'm a consultant on this blah. And you just step-by-step was like, just do like center the episode, even in advance of it airing, like you need to do this. Like just here, here's the playbook, like go do it. But it's like, well, I don't have my logo right. I don't have my, I don't have my business, I don't have my business license just yet. My website, I don't have a website. <sighs> you don't even need a website. Like people could email you and you can, oh yeah, it was just, <laughs> I don't know. So I see, I get a lot, I get frustrated about that, but you know, this willingness to take action is really, or a bias toward action is something that definitely sets apart people who kind of like perpetually stuck on the sidelines versus people who start something recognizing truthfully, it doesn't matter. And it leads to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing down the road. Love it. So when you look at all these businesses that you've interviewed and all the stories that are out there, let's talk about the ones that don't make it, the ones that crash and burn. Are you seeing some commonalities in how they operate or their their vision of why it doesn't work out? Ooh, that's a good one. I you, well, we, we should do some more like failure episodes. <laughs> we're kind of we're kind of pessimists on this show. So yeah. yeah, we want the reality is the truth. <laughs> no, you're totally right. The ones that, I mean, it comes down to traffic and conversion, right? Like, can you get enough leads through the door? And a million and one ways to do that. And then, can you? Can what are they going to? How are they going to pay you? Like, are they going to click on an affiliate link? Are they going to buy your product? Are they going to buy your service? So. Traffic conversion and then Perry Marshall from 8020 sales and marketing would add in economics. Like that's his like power triangle, traffic conversion, economics. Like, and under each of those levers, you can kind of see, well, what's working, what's not? How can we make some adjustments here? Do we need to increase our prices? Do we need to improve our marketing? Do we need to improve our offer. Like, what's just not resonating? So the businesses that you know fail to get traction, a lot of times it's on this awareness problem. It's just my I built a better mousetrap and expected the world to beat a path to my door. Didn't happen. So how am I going to get the word out there? One common path that we see people taking is what I call like the buy buttons strategy is taking advantage of these pre-existing marketplaces like, like Amazon, like eBay, like Fiverr, like Upwork, like Udemy to a certain extent, even Apple, like for podcasting or Spotify, like how can I versus the, the big wide open ocean that is Google, like, okay, how can I shrink this search engine a little bit to these little micro platforms? And some of them are not micro by any means, but like, where are people looking specifically for help with what I have and trying to tap into an audience that way? And the other method that you see people use very successfully is this like strategic partnership method where you're trying to figure out, oh, well, who are my customers already doing business with or who are my target customers already doing business with? And how can I get in front of them that way? And so we've seen some really creative examples of people doing like virtual lunch and learns. We had a guy on recently, Dustin Lean, who runs JumpX Marketing, digital marketing agency, you know, focusing on direct to consumer brands. So he'd reach out to these like software companies in the space and say, hey, can I come on? There's no pitch. I just want to do a, a webinar on you know, email marketing for direct to consumer brands or something right and by doing so it's a win for the software company they're like hey look you know this we didn't charge anything for this it was just like straight up value add for our customers it's a win for dustin because now he's having an hour to showcase his expertise and naturally you get people calling you up afterwards being like hey and and even if they don't call you immediately it's like now he's the go-to guy for that i think that was a really interesting example of the partnership angle 
And then the window cleaning guy, I don't know if we talked about him, but this is Johnny Robinson out of Orange County, started a $700,000 a year window cleaning business as a full-time college student. I interviewed him on his last wow. day of college. <laughs> I was like, man, I wish I was ambitious <laughs> as you were, like at That's 22, insane. 23, however old he is. But one of his cool strategic partnerships was going after like maid services or cleaning services and saying, well, your customers are already investing in cleaning and maintaining their house, but you don't offer interior, exterior window cleaning. Would you mind passing us along some referrals? And he even sent them like, we'll give you a kickback or we'll give you a finder's fee if you send us any business. So I think that's something that can be applied in just about every business or market, like trying to figure out, okay, who are my partners to kind of shortcut this, you know, shouting into the void period of trying to get discovered in Google or, or elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, those are some, those are some great yeah. tips. Yeah. So how can people learn more about Side Hustle Nation? I know you have, you have built this wonderful podcast that has a massive following and you've created a wonderful reputation. How can people tune in to what you're doing? Yeah, you'll find the Side Hustle Show in any podcast app that's out there. There's 500 episodes are closing in on 500. So nice. I, I created a best of, you know, kind of a greatest hits playlist uh, on Spotify. If that might be easier than, well, where do I start? Um, so that's sidehustlenation.com slash podcast. you find that over there. If you, and there's you know tons of really cool case studies and stories and ideas in those archives, would love to have you tune in. That would be you know, a very cool compliment after listening to this interview. If you prefer text, sidehustlenation.com slash ideas. It's just my big laundry list of ideas. Hopefully you have eight or 10 different browser tabs open by the, by the time you get down to the bottom of that. No opt-in required over there. Just trying to figure out and get the creative juices flowing and see what options might be available to you. Have you had any other big uh, podcasters on? I thought I saw something with you and John Lee Dumas. Did I read that right? We've done a handful of episodes with JLT, yeah. Dude, that's he's huge. Good for you. Well, so his big thing is how do I grow my show? Podcasters listen to podcasts. Like this is a simple re- revelation or revelation like early on. And so he makes a point to do 10, 20 interviews a month on other shows. So it's I I don't know that you'd have a hard time booking it, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, that's awesome though. That's amazing. Well, hey, thank you for all the cool stuff you're doing. Thank you for being that light. For so many people that are trying to break free from their day jobs and find their passion or, or break free from the, the corporate chain, you're a liberator, my friend. So thank you for all you are doing. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This has been fun. Well, hey, we'll probably have you on again. You're, you're going to be our side hustle expert. So yeah, all right, thank you so it. much. You've been listening to the Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. 
third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of LinkedIn Incorporated or Microsoft Corporation. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.